What's up, everybody? How y'all? Everybody good? Okay, good. Um, so I'm not going to preach, if that's okay. Um, it's a Bible class. So I'm going to be as boring as the Bible professors I had in college, if I, if I can do that. Um, if you've never sat through a college Bible class, well, just imagine just bad, okay? Just imagine bad and make it worse, and that's Bible class, all right? Now, I'm going to try and do a little bit better than that. Um, you guys have been talking about different people in the Bible, and my understanding is you've talked about Abraham, you've talked about Isaac, you talked about Jacob, and tonight, I've been asked to talk about Joseph, um, and so I'm excited to talk about Joseph. Joseph has a very interesting, very colorful, not just jacket, but life, you know what I'm saying? So those of you who know a little bit about Joseph, you're like, oh, I got that one, and those of you don't, you'll hear it later, so it's cool. At the end of the night, you'll be like, yeah, okay, I get it now, it's, it's good. Um, just to kind of tell you guys, I always, anytime I have one of these types of, anybody ever wake up in the morning and you were already late for the day, like when you went to sleep the night before, you know what I'm talking about? Not because you got up late, but just like you woke up knowing you could not physically do everything that day that you needed to do. It was going to be impossible, and at some point, you just had to just throw your hands up and go, oh, well, right? My day to day. Just, so you just kind of know where I'm starting from, that sometimes we have this residue on us that I'm so thankful that we had worship tonight. Amen? Just an opportunity to sort of get the residue of the day off of us, just to be able to kind of step up and just be like, okay, it's all right. It's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. And so I, I say that, and the reason I do that a lot of times when I, when I take an opportunity to speak is because I think sometimes we have this idea that the people who stand up here, the people that have the microphone and stand behind here, that like our days are like Mary Poppins. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like we sing and our room cleans itself. And, and we just, we have no problems, no struggles, no troubles in life. And the reality is, is it is normally the exact opposite of that. And I don't tell you that because I want you to feel sorry for me or pray for me, although I will receive your prayers. I'm not mad about that at all. I say that to say we're all on the same playing field and we all have the same experiences. We all struggle in life, but we all serve the same God. And so the God that we encourage you about, that I talk to you about tonight, the God that we sing about is the same God that I depend on to come through in my circumstance and situation that I'm going to tell you to depend on to come through in your circumstance and situation. And so today as my day just sort of went like left when it should have went right, um, and I found myself reading through Joseph's life, I was reminded of how good our God is. And it was just one of those opportunities where even as I was reading, just to tell you, um, you ever encounter a crazy person? I promise I'm going to get into this in a minute, but um, I have it like forever to teach this. So, um, so I just thought I would kind of, you know that like, I'm talking about the crazy you can't fix. You know, you know I'm, okay? So I encountered a crazy person today. <laughs> The crazy you can't fix kind of person. And um, it was unexpected. It was unintended. And, and there I was thrown in the middle of it. And, and I, when I got over it, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm reading through this, and I'm, I'm just decompressing and I'm releasing it, and, and crazy calls me in the middle of reading. You know what I'm saying? And just, it's like the enemy will do everything he can to distract you from your purpose. If, if, so if I don't tell you anything tonight, just know that the enemy wants to distract you from your purpose. Because God has a plan for your life. God wants to do something with you. And that something doesn't have to be speaking to an audience on a Wednesday night. That something can be encouraging a coworker on a Thursday morning. Amen? But God wants to discourage you. So here, here's, here's my, here, I, mean, I mean, the enemy wants to distract you. So here are my distractions of the day. Crazy you can't fix. Okay, twice, right? 
Once was bad enough. Twice is really bad, okay? Crazy you can't fix twice. I get a phone call from my wife who says, hey, Eli just fell down the stairs. They're in San Antonio. I'm nowhere near these stairs. What size stairs? How big are these stairs? How far did he fall? How hard did he? Right, all of the daddy questions start going through my head. He's got like a knot. We're FaceTiming. He's got this knot on his head. Then he wakes up from his nap saying, hurt, hurt, hurt. So she's like, hey, we're taking him to quick care. This is, these are, listen, I'm just telling you, the enemy, when he can't defeat you, he will defeat those whose defeat will defeat you. And so you just got to trust God. You just got to pray and believe God. And I, you know, I just began praying. I said, God, I know that you're going to take care of my little boy. I don't have to be worried, God. You're working this out. Just so you know, it turned out upper respiratory infection, not a big deal. We'll take some time now. A couple days, we'll be good. Don't even fear. I don't know, some of you are going to go home just, just praying tonight. God, just whatever it is in Brandon's child's life, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. Pray anyway, but upper respiratory infection, we're okay. The, the hit to the head, he's still fine. Um, in fact, he acts more like me now than he did before, so it's really, that's a good thing. We're okay there. God, listen, God wants to use you, but the enemy wants to distract you. And that's kind of Joseph's life. God wants to use Joseph. It's very clear at an early place in Joseph's life that God has a plan for him. But the enemy worked overtime to distract him from his purpose and his plan. The enemy wants to derail you from your dream. We talk about Joseph the dreamer, but you need to understand that, listen, that those dreams that God gives you, those are nightmares to the devil. And the devil does not want those dreams to become reality in your life. And the truth is, is that God, if you haven't received it yet, God has a dream for all of you in this room. And when you do get it, and when you do take hold of it, and you possess it, and you make it your own, and you begin to share it, maybe prematurely like we're going to see in his life, the enemy is going to begin to work overtime to derail you from that dream. Because if you ever step into the fulfillment of that dream and that destiny, you'll change the world. Joseph changed the world for a lot of people. And so we're going to kind of look at his life. If you have your Bible, I don't have any points. Joseph lived 110 years. So I just said, put his name on the screen. There it is, Joseph. He lived 110 years. I can't point out 110 years. We'd be here all forever, okay? So I, I didn't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bible, and you should because you came to Bible class, or if you have your phone, that's cool. You can use that too. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you. Genesis chapter 37 is where we pick up Joseph's life. This is where his story begins in Genesis 37. And Joseph in Genesis 37 is 17 years old. How many of you know at 17 you didn't have it all right? How many of you know at 17 you thought you did? Right? <laughs> Some of you know a 17-year-old that think they do, right? But now in your wisdom, in your age, in your understanding, you're like, you don't know. In fact, you don't know anything. In fact, what you think you know is wrong, right? Amen? I love telling young people, you don't know. And what you think you know is wrong. So whatever you think you were going to say, don't say it. Because I don't need to hear it. Because I don't want to waste airspace right now. That you don't know. But at 17, listen, God had begun to give Joseph dreams. And the Bible says that he was the 11th of 12. How many of you know that that is not the place you want to be born in the order of things? The 11th of 12. Can you imagine 11-year-old hand-me-downs? Like, I don't even know what that looks like, but it's like, no, this was my brother's brother, brother's 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 robe. 
You don't want to be in that. You can't wash that well enough to make it clean. I'm just, I don't care who you are. He's the 11th. I mean, this is, this is not the place you want to be warned because it's understood that the authority is established by the eldest and it works its way down. I don't know if you've ever been to Korea. Anybody in here, Korea? Korea? Love Korea. Got great food in Korea. I, I had the opportunity to go to Korea and speak in schools in Korea. English-speaking, English-second-language schools, um, Christian schools in Korea, they asked me to come over there and speak to these students who, even though they were ESL, English-second-language, had no idea what I was saying. That's what I determined. They didn't know, like, Southern English, SL. They should, you know, I, they called the wrong guy. I was not good for them. They, they would literally just look at me like, and then they would look for an interpretation, and I'm speaking in English, and nobody in Korean could interpret. So, I went, and what, I, what was fascinating to me about the school was I, I would hang out with some of the students of the school. And these students are away from their parents for years. These are boarding schools, so they go, they're away from their parents for years as they go to school. And I thought it was interesting that there's a custom in Korea that the eldest in the room is in charge. And that doesn't matter the age. And that doesn't matter the relationship. You don't have to be, in, you don't have to be a brother or a sister. It doesn't matter. If you're the oldest person in the room, you make the decisions, period. And no matter what age I was with, they all followed the same rule. And so if you were in a room full of even young kids and you asked, hey, what do you guys want to do? They would all look at the eldest in the room and the eldest in the room got to make the decision. Well, the truth is it was the same in biblical times too, that the eldest made the decisions. The eldest was in charge and the eldest got the main inheritance and then from there it got passed down. If you're 11, on, on a list of 12, you can't expect much out of life. I'm just telling you, okay? You're always living in the leftover part of the world. So I need you to understand this because there was something about Joseph's life that we see that kind of goes throughout Scripture. His position was never perfect. Joseph's position was never perfect. He wasn't born first. And, and the sad truth is he wasn't even born last. How many of you know the last is the baby and the baby's always the baby, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, and he didn't even get that spot. He missed it by one. You know what I'm saying? You, you just want to look at your dad and go, you couldn't have quit? <laughs> like, I wasn't enough. 11, you stop, cut it off right there. But no, his dad kept going. And so he has a younger brother. And so he's in this position in life. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible says that he was his father's favorite. Now, I know as parents that we're not allowed to have favorites. I can have a favorite because I only have one. And so he's, so I'm never lying. Yeah, baby, you're my favorite. You know, because there's nobody else for him to compete with. But those of you that may have more than one child, how many of you know, you're not supposed to have a favorite. Can we just be real though? We all do have the favorite. And then the reality is we have favorites at different times for different things, right? This is my favorite to go to the movie with, but this is my favorite to go shopping with. You know what I'm saying? This is my favorite to go out and eat with. You, we have favorites. And so his father sees Joseph as his favorite, but he doesn't keep it to himself. In, in fact, that's why Joseph gets the coat of many colors. It was a sign of favoritism that his father placed upon him to sort just this sort of thing, not really because he didn't love his other children, not because he didn't care about them, but because there was a special bond between him and his dad that was undeniable. And Joseph at 17 wore this coat. How many of you understand at 17? I'm thinking, you know, it would be one thing if I could picture Joseph in my head as like this really buff dude that works out every day, eats right, you know what I'm saying, he studies MMA, you know what I'm talking about, like he's been beat up most of his life so he grows up and learns how to beat his brothers up, you know what I'm saying, then I could see you putting this coat of many colors on and walking around and being around your brothers and being like, yeah, what, what, come on. I ain't little no I'm 17 now, right? Come on, well, you, let's go right now, right? I don't see that, though. I don't see that being him. He's a little arrogant. 
he's a little kind of, kind of, you know, stuck on himself. And so he's wearing this coat around. And then not only is he wearing the coat around, the Bible tells us in, in chapter 37 that he begins to have these dreams. These dreams that God gives him. And in these dreams, basically, I'm going to interpret them for you so that we won't have to read the whole thing to get the interpretation. It, it, says, it says that in these dreams, basically, he sees his brothers bowing down before him. Well, I'm just telling you right now, that is not something you go tell your brothers. Especially if there are 10 of them older than you. The odds are not in your favor. It's not going to end well. And But he goes and he tells his brothers and he's like, hey, hey guys, I had a dream. And in my dream, you guys were all pretty much bowing down before me. The youngest, second to youngest. But I can beat Benjamin up so it doesn't matter. You're bowing down before me. And his brothers, like, are angry. Hatred begins to build in their heart. They, they begin to despise Joseph. And then he has another dream, and he goes and he tells his father and his brothers this dream. And in this dream, his father and his mother and his brothers are bowing down before him. How many of you understand, it doesn't matter if God tells you you're going to be the head. If you're not ready to be the head, you might ought to keep it to yourself. You know what I'm saying? How many of us, though, sometimes we get so excited God gives us a word, we get a little something, you know, from God, and we just run out, and we're not ready, right? But we just start telling everybody, I'm going to be in charge. And everybody's looking at you like, no, you're not. And we're going to let you know you're not going to be in charge. And so, in fact, that's kind of what happens. His brothers have all of the, the flocks, and they're out, and they're taking care of the flocks and the pastors. And his father comes to Joseph, and he says, hey, you know, your brothers are in another country. Go to that other country and, 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 and see about them. And so he goes to find them, and he finds them, and they're shepherding the flocks. And he shows up. Of all the things he could have worn, right, his coat of many colors, you know, just to sort of rub it in. You know, I don't know if you had younger brothers or sisters. You know what I'm saying? How they like to rub it in. I had a younger brother, right? And, and, and you know, it's, it's the whole, like, you know, he does something to you, you do something back. He does something to you, you do something back. He yells about it, and you get in trouble. And then he looks at you and goes, right? This is a moment with Joseph, right? He's like, yeah, Dad sent y'all <laughs> to tend the sheep. Yeah, I got to stay home. And I've just been hanging out at the house, wearing my coat of many colors, you know, eating grapes. It's, life's been good. And you guys are out here in the sun and the stink, and you smell horrible, and you look horrible. And I look great, and I'm clean, and I'm fresh, and I'm going to go back home in a minute, right? And that, but that's not what happened. Because his brothers, if you know the story, his brothers actually put a plan together. And what's interesting is the Bible says as they saw him coming, they began to put a plan together to kill him. You know people don't like you when they see you coming and they're already planning on killing you. Okay, that's, that's not people you want to be with, right? That's people you want to avoid. And so the Bible says they see him coming, and, and as they see him coming, because he's got his coat of many colors on, it's evident, and they're like, oh, okay. Hey, I think we should kill Joseph. Who's in? Anybody? anybody all, all four say, say I. All opposed, they were Baptists, if y'all don't know. They, they, they voted on everything. They were, they were I come from Baptist church, so we, we voted on everything. It's like, hey, we're going to have hamburgers this week. All opposed? <laughs> hamburgers it is, right? I mean, like, 
So they had a little Baptist, a little, little, little deacon meeting, a little elder meeting. They voted, you know. One, there was one day. He was like, one day, like, we shouldn't kill him. Can we just throw him in a pit, you know, and, and, but not kill him? Like, maybe that's okay. But how many of you know majority rules? And so, so they, they agree. They agree, hey, okay, let's don't kill him. But they, they throw him in a pit. And then, they, and then the Bible says they throw him in a pit, and then they go sit down and have lunch afterwards. What? That's crazy you can't fix, Right? These people were the people I had to deal with today, this kind of person. I'm, I'm just telling you. So the Bible says that when he gets near, that they take him and they grab him and they throw him in this pit. How many of you know, though, as the 11th of, of, of 12, that you've probably been thrown in a hole before? <laughs> right? This probably ain't the first time. And so what are you thinking in your head? They're coming back. Right, they coming back. Y'all ain't going to leave me down here. Come on, guys, stop. Okay, it's not fun anymore, right? And they go have lunch with really no intent of coming back. And then, except for one, the Bible says he had one brother, Reuben, who, who was going to come back and was going to take him out of the pit later on. But the Bible says that a, a, a band of travelers were coming, traders were coming through. And one of the other brothers, <laughs> I like the way this brother thinks, he goes, man, why should we waste something so valuable as his life? Why not sell him? I mean, let's get something out of this deal, right? And so the other brothers are like, that's why you're the smart one. That's why you're the smart one. That's a good idea. Let's sell him. I like that. Let's do that. And so they come back, right? Can you imagine? They get back to the pit, and you're there inside the pit, and you're looking up, and they come back. You hear their voices like, I knew you guys were coming back. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell Dad, too, just so you know. I'm going to tell Dad all this. All this is going down. I'm telling Dad. And right, and so they're getting him out, you know, and he's like, man, y'all are so crazy. Y'all better stop. Y'all are crazy. And then they're like, they grab him and they start dragging him over to these caravan of traders and they sell him as a slave to these strangers. And they take that money and they leave. This is Joseph. How many of you understand? This is not the perfect position. God's given him a vision. God's given him a dream. God's given him a destiny that he is going to reign and rule. How many of you understand this don't look like the path to get there? Now he's being sold into slavery. And the whole time you got to be thinking, this ain't really happening. I mean, can you just imagine in your mind, you're just thinking, there is no way this is for real right now. You guys are not really going to sell me to these dudes. And so they drag him off to Egypt and the brothers go back and they got to figure out what to tell the dad so they take the coat of many colors and they cover it in blood and they rip it to shreds and they go back to the father and they hand it to the father and they say we found this he must have been mauled by a beast and he must be in pieces literally that's what they say in translation he got to be in pieces and there was too many to pick up so we brought the coat back like that's what's happening right now. And the Bible says that his father began to mourn, and he mourned, and he mourned, and he mourned. And in fact, the brothers and sisters came to him and said, Dad, get up. And he said, I will mourn to my grave over the loss of my son. How many of you know that's love? That's love. And so this is going on. And so Joseph ends up in Egypt. And as he's in Egypt, he gets sold to a person named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a pretty high official in the rule of Pharaoh. And he goes to Potiphar's house and it's interesting what the scripture tells us. Let me flip through my notes here because I done went through like seven pages of stuff I got here. Um, we get to, yes, right here. The story picks up in verse 39, in chapter 39, sorry, in verses 1 through 6. This is what the Bible tells us in 39, 1 through 6. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. 
And he had become a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he had him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. It's pretty impressive. He sold out of slavery into Potiphar's house, and the Bible says that the blessing of God was so heavy on Joseph's life that everything he did was blessed. Everything he touched was blessed. Everything that he was doing. Now, how many of you understand, the position's still not perfect, but the promise is still evident. See, if I can get you to a place tonight of understanding that your position to God is not important, the promise of God is. And so he's not in the position he should be. This is not the path that leads to the kingdom, right? This is not the path that leads to his destiny. This is not the path that leads to his dream. He's supposed to be the head, and he keeps finding himself being the tail. And now he's a servant in his house, but God is blessing him. And he's blessing him and blessing him. And in fact, the Bible tells us that he is a handsome man. He's good to look at. Amen. Thank you, God, for that blessing. You know what I'm saying? In all areas of life, he's blessed. He's a handsome man. He's good to look at. And Potiphar's wife takes notice of him. Now, Potiphar would travel a lot. And the Bible says that's the reason that he put him there because he said as he was out, as he was away, he didn't have to worry about his house because he knew, he knew that Joseph was taking care of it. And so Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph. Now, see, there's a, a lesson here, men. Don't leave Joseph's at your house. Okay? That, that's... <clears throat> I do not have friends that are prettier than me. And if I do, they don't come to my house. And they don't meet my wife. I'm just telling you. If you're a better looking dude than me, you're never going to meet my wife. I'm never going to introduce. I don't care if we're best friends. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to bring a Joseph into my house. Right? And so he brings a Joseph into his house. And he lets Joseph take care of his house. And his wife notices Joseph. How can she not? Potiphar's gone. And the Bible says that she begins to come on to Joseph. And she begins to say, come lie with me, come lie with me, come lie with me. And Joseph, because I'm just going to, we're pretty much all adults in here, so we're okay. Um, Joseph is like 27, 28. I'm guessing that Potiphar's wife wasn't ugly. Potiphar's a pretty powerful man. He probably married a pretty beautiful woman. And this woman is saying, hey. Come have a relation with me. Come have sex. If you don't know, the Bible says relation, but we say sex. Come have sex with me. And as a 27-year-old man who is not in his hometown, who's been literally through heck and back, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I'm just being real. And the Bible says that he resists her. He resists her, and he continuously resists her. But one day... He comes to the house, and all of the other servants are not in the house. How many of you know there's a plot going on there? There's all of a sudden, all the other servants are gone. What? And he goes to the house, and she comes to him, and she tells him, come and lay with me. And he says, no. The Bible says he flees her, but she grabs his coat. She grabs his cloak, and she takes it. And this is not the coat of many colors, because men are ripped up and covered in lamb's blood, right? It's gone. And so he grabs, grabs it. she grabs it, and she screams out. And when the other servants come, she accuses him of trying to rape her. 
She makes an accusation. And then the Bible says this. I thought this was interesting. And it says, and she keeps his cloak by her side until her husband returns. Why? Because it's her only form of evidence. Because how is he going to explain why he left the place naked? Right? I mean, like, that's hard to, you know, like, that's a really hard one to talk your, yourself out of. So you came with clothes, but you left without clothes. But nothing happened. You can go to the marriage class right now, and, and Bo and Mo will tell you that ain't going to work. That, you, you ain't going to get away with this. And so the husband comes back, and she tells the husband, this, 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 this person you put in the house, this person, he, come to, he came to make fun of us. He, he, he tried to have an affair with me. Here, here's, here's his clothes. And the Bible says that Potiphar became angry, and so Potiphar threw him in prison. But not just any prison. He threw him in the prison that was reserved for people who were in service to the king. Now, how many of you know that's not the king you want to be in service to when he got his own prison? Like, this man is obviously cutting folks left and right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you want a job with the king? No. Why? He got his own prison. And you don't get fired, you get thrown in prison. I want a job I can get fired from, not a, a job I go to prison because of. I don't want that job. But the Bible says that, he, that Potiphar throws Joseph in this prison where these individuals who are placed there by the king. And so as he's there, the Bible says that God begins to have favor on him. God blesses him while he's there in the prison. It, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and that's found in, sorry, i got to flip my notes again right here. Got to flip my notes back because I flipped too far. There's 110 years of stuff here, y'all. You've got to just bear with me. It's found in verse 19 of, of, of chapter 39. It says, as soon as his master heard these words that his wife spoke, this is why your servant treated me this way. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there... He was, um, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. How many of you understand? This is not the perfect position, but it's still the perfect promise. See, whenever the promise is on your life, the position doesn't matter. Wherever you are, God can use you. And sometimes we get so focused on the position rather than the promise that we lose sight of God's purpose for our life. We start to question, well, God, are you really ever going to do anything great in my life? But everywhere he went, the promise remained the same. The blessing of God was on him. And it's interesting that God is using him to rule over different factors of his life. He's constantly putting him in positions of leadership. I'm going to tell you why that happens in just a minute, why I believe that happens. But he's thrown in prison. So he's in prison, and while he's in prison, the, the king fires two other people, throws him in prison. One is the baker. What do you got to do to be thrown in prison as a baker? Like I just Sometimes I read the Bible and I go, okay, can I just pause? Like, what? You're the baker. The worst thing you could have did was burnt the rolls. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, uh, hey, wait, wait, did my rolls burn. Where are the baker? Put him in prison. Right? The baker and the cupbearer. So, so the cupbearer and the baker must have been in something together, and they end up in prison. And while they're in prison, they meet Joseph. And they're in prison, they each have a dream. The baker 
and the cupbearer have a dream. And they begin to talk about their dreams. And Joseph says, well, listen, tell me your dream. God will give me the interpretation. Because that's what I do. I interpret dreams. In fact, let me tell you about mine. I'm going to rule over my brothers. Now, can you just imagine the baker and the cupbearer looking at him in prison going, do we tell him our dream? Because if that's his interpretation based on where he is right now, I don't want to know mine. I don't want to know what he has to say. But the Bible says they share their dream with him, and Joseph interprets both of their dreams. For one of them, it's a great dream. For one of them, it's a nightmare. In fact, for the cupbearer, uh, Joseph says in, that, that what's going to happen is he's going to be restored to his place of honor in, in, Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's cabinet, that he's, he's going to be cupbearer again. And to the baker, he says, and you're going to lose your head. Now, how, how many of you know, like, sometimes you don't want to know? You know what I'm saying? But, and, and the funny thing is, he tells the cupbearer first, right? So he tells the cupbearer, he's like, hey, man, listen, good news. Pharaoh is going to bring you back. He's going to put you back in your position of honor. You're going to get your job back and get your family back and get your life back. And the cupbearer is like, yes, right? He wants to believe, even though he's questioning, right, because Joseph's in prison, and he's supposed to be ruling over his brothers. And so he's like, man, I want to believe that. And so how do you know if you're the baker? You're like, oh, do me, do me, do me, right? Do me. And Joseph gets done with this, yeah, the king's going to kill you. Do me again. Do me again. <laughs> I don't think you did it right that time. Do me one more. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to stop here. Can we, you know? <laughs> so, so this is what he tells him. He's like, and, and this is what happens. And so, and, but the interesting thing is, is Joseph tells the cupbearer, <laughs> he didn't tell the baker this because he knew it was going to work for the baker, but he tells the cupbearer, he says, hey, when this happens, when this happens, remember me and tell Pharaoh what I did. Tell Pharaoh what I did. And so it happened, and the cupbearer forgot to tell Pharaoh what he did. In fact, the Bible says he forgot for two years. It's one thing to forget for like a couple of days. I can forgive you, okay? You missed my birthday by like, you know, a day, two days. I still love you. You miss it by a week, I'm questioning my love for you. You miss my birthday by a month, I ain't talking to you. I ain't even returning your text no more, right? You miss by two years, I don't know you. But two years later, the Bible says that Pharaoh has a dream, and it's a disturbing dream. He calls all these people together, and no one can interpret his dream for him. And the cupbearer remembers. Two years later, he remembers. And he goes, ah, Pharaoh, I know a guy, <laughs> Right? This is how it happens. I know in our mind it happens in Old English or something because we grew up reading King James. But really, he said... I know a guy. I, I know a guy, and he's, he can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, where is he? Prison. What do you have to lose? You know what I'm saying? So Pharaoh brings him in, and he shares his dream, and Joseph interprets the dream, and here's what the dream interpretation says. The dream interpretation says, Pharaoh, for seven years, for seven years, there is going to be abundance in the land. There is going to be, it's going to be plentiful. Everything is going to sprout. Everything's going to grow. The crops are going to increase. The cattle and the, and, and the livestock are going to be healthy for seven years. It is going to be amazing. But seven years after that, for seven years, it is going to be famine. There's not going to be any grain. There's not going to be any crops. The animals are going to begin to starve and die. And there is going to be nothing and he says, Pharaoh, based on this dream, can I make a suggestion? 
And he suggests this. He says, take the next seven years and begin to store up the plenty. So that at the end of that, when the famine comes, you will have what's necessary in order to not only take care of you and your family, but your country. And so Pharaoh says, this is a smart guy. He said, of all the guys that I have on my team, not one of them could interpret the dream, and not one of them had this wisdom. And so Pharaoh does what everybody else does. He places him in a position of honor. And he puts him over everything. In fact, the scripture reads it like this. In chapter 41, starting in verse 37, it says, The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called Joseph's name, and he changed his name, and it's a crazy name, Zephanath Peninnah, and I don't even know what that means, but that's what he changed his name to. And he gave him in marriage. So Joseph went out, and he ruled over the land of Egypt. How many of you know this sounds like the perfect position? But it's not the promise. It's interesting. Now it seems like the perfect position. See, we went from not the perfect position, but we still got a hold of the promise, to a place that seems like the perfect position, so it's easy to say, this must be the promise. Can I tell you how often we do that as believers? That we get into a perfect position and we assume it must be the promise? But this wasn't the promise. This wasn't the dream that God gave Joseph. He didn't say, hey, you're going to be over all of Egypt. He said, no. He said, your brothers are going to come in and they're going to bow down before you. Now listen, God had to move some things to get him to this place. And the position was great. But when the position becomes more important than the promise, there's a problem. And so Joseph has to make a decision at this point in his life. Am I going to be consumed by the position or consumed by the promise? And some of us get so excited about the position, and we begin to believe this must be the promise, that we forget that it was God that put us there. And so it's God that we need to keep us there. I mean, in those great moments of life, it is so easy to look and go, I got this. I got this. And think, I am right in the center of God's plan for my life. And how many of you understand, that may not be the center of God's plan for your life. It may just be the beginning. In fact, God may not intend for you to stay in that place. And so the Bible says that the famine comes. And when it hits, it hits hard. But for seven years, they've been storing up. They've been taking care. They've been doing what they're supposed to do. They've been preparing for the worst that is to come. And after the famine comes, the Bible says that when all of the grain dissipated, when it was all gone and the cattle and sheep began to die, the Bible says that Jacob Jacob says to his sons, I know that there is grain in Egypt. Take the money we have and go to Egypt and buy the grain. Right? Now that's a tricky part to begin with because technically they're not Egyptian. And technically Pharaoh didn't save all that grain to save them. 
He saved all that grain to save Egyptians. But they show up. And when they show up, they don't even recognize their brother. And that's who they go before. They go before their brother, and they don't even recognize that it's him. And the Bible tells us over the next three chapters that Joseph begins to test his brothers. Joseph begins to test his brothers, and Joseph begins to ask questions. Joseph begins to inquire about his father. Joseph tells them to go back and get their younger brother and bring him back to prove that they're not spies in the land. And the Bible says that Joseph gives them grain, and he has their money placed back in the bag with their grain. And as they're traveling back, they open their bags, and they find out that the money that's, that they were to pay for the grain is now in their bags with the grain. And they're fearful. They're fearful that because of this, that Pharaoh's going to feel, or, or that Joseph's going to feel like he was, they were taking advantage of him and that he's going to take their life. And so they go, and they get their brother, and they come back. And this kind of goes back and forth. And finally, Joseph gets to the place. And Joseph says, I want you to leave the younger brother here. I want you to go back and get your dad and bring him back. And they, and they answer him and they say, we cannot leave. How many of you know they remembered in that moment what they had done so many years ago? Joseph, listen, he knew exactly what he was saying when he said it. Hey, why don't you leave the youngest and why don't you go back and get your dad? Now, this is an opportunity for repentance. This is an opportunity for change. It's something they had tried to bury, he just uncovered. He, he just opened some wounds up right there that they had really tried to hide for a long time. And in that moment, they remembered what they had done. And the Bible says they said, we can't leave our younger brother here and go back and tell our father that we returned without him. It will kill him. They had already seen their dad die once. They couldn't bear to see him die a second time. And it says in that moment that Joseph decided to reveal himself to his brothers. In fact, he began to weep and he made himself known to them. It, says, it actually says this, it says, Then Joseph could not even control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, Make everyone get out from me, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so they were dismayed at his presence. And then it goes on to say, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near to him, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. It wasn't the perfect position, but it was the perfect promise. And the reality is, is that no matter where you're at in life right now, it may not be the perfect position. But if you will remain faithful to the perfect promise of God, God is using you to preserve life that you don't even know yet, that you haven't even seen yet. And so the story goes on, and they go back, and they get their father, and they bring him back. And Joseph works a deal with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him to give his father the best land for his, for his flocks. And the Bible says that they remain there for the remainder of their days. And the Bible tells us that Joseph lives to be 110 years, where he dies there in that place. I'm a... I don't want to call myself an amateur photographer. I'm just a guy who thinks he can take great pictures, okay, but probably don't take great pictures. I actually took a photography class one time, and um, I, I loved the photography class. In, in fact, I'm one of those kind of people that if you hang around me, you'll find out that when I get excited about something, I overinvest in it. <clears throat> I shared this one time at 318 Live. When I decide I'm going to work out, okay, before I even go work out the first time, I go to academy. I go to the workout section. I buy the workout shorts, I buy the workout socks, I buy some new workout shoes, right? I get the workout tops, 
right? I start getting the workout magazines. I start reading the workout podcast. I start looking for, uh, for workout material. I start ordering things. I, I get a gym membership, right? I mean, I, I go all in. I walk into the gym looking like I've been there my whole life, other than the fact that I don't look like I've been there my whole life. <laughs> But I look good walking in. I'm just telling you. I come strutting into the, into the gym. And I am dressed to the nines. I am ready to do this thing, right? And I've just spent about $400 in gym attire. <laughs> and I normally work out about three weeks. And then I don't work out again. I did this one year. I was traveling. I was speaking all over the country. And every camp I went to had a group of runners. Are there any runners in here? Just a couple. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I don't like y'all. So I'm just going to go and tell you. And, so, and, and there were this group of runners, right? And I'm, I'm getting older, and I'm going to youth camps, and everybody there is, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And they're on, like, tr they're running track and cross country. And, and they want to connect with you, and you want to connect with them. You want to find that common bond, and you know, so that they're listening to you at night when you're speaking. And they're like, hey, man, we go running in the morning. You want to go running with us? Yeah! Yeah, dude. Yeah, let's run, man. What time, what time y'all want to run? Oh, we start at, like, 5. In the morning? You know breakfast ain't until 8. Are we going to run for three hours? No, you got to run, and you got to go and shower, and you got to clean up. You know, you got to cool down, and you, then we're going to go eat, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, if I run and shower, I'm going to go sleep. I ain't going to go eat. I'm going to go sleep. Like, it's done. But, so, but I kind of got on this running kick. I, I started running, and, and it's kind of addictive. It's like a drug. That's why y'all keep running, because it's like a drug. You, you feel good. It releases all of these things in your body, and you just, you just, it's like you come alive. And so I got back, and I kid you not, I went to Sports Spectrum, and I, I was like, I need some running shoes, and they, and they fit them for your foot. Like, you got to get a special. They're like, walk for me. Okay, you need this kind of shoe. You got to stand on a machine. They fit it to your foot. Like, $180 pair of running shoes, right? Right? Then you got to have running shorts. You don't. You got to have wind resistant. You know. You don't want wind slowing you down. So you got to get the right shorts. And same thing. I go through the whole deal and I start running. And then it gets hot outside. I, I can't run when it's hot outside. But then there's another problem. So it stops being hot outside, and you go run for like four or five weeks, and you think this is amazing. And then it gets cold outside. I can't run when it's cold outside. <laughs> so I got like $180 pair of running shoes that have been like two miles, you know what I'm saying, over a period of six weeks. Like that's not good. I, I go all in. So I decided I was going to get into photography. I was, I was going to take pictures. I, it's going to be fun. So I, I bought a camera. I'm not talking about some cheap camera. I, I want to take, take professional pictures. I need a professional camera. My wife's the whole time shaking her head, you don't need that camera. Like, just take some regular camera. You know, I'm like, baby, I ain't showing up to photography class with some bobo camera. Like, I want to walk in and they think, this guy knows something about taking pictures. She's like, then why would you be taking the class? They're not going to think that. The guy teaching the class needs to have the nice camera. The guy coming to the class should have a cheap, sorry camera. I'm like, no, baby, because when I learn how to do this, I want to be able to do it right. So I buy this fancy camera and these fancy lenses. I buy dark room equipment. I'm not just going to take it. I'm going to develop it. My wife's like, I'm, I'm converting. This is real talk. I converted my spare bathroom into a dark room. I got the red light bulb. I got the whole, And I'm like, babe, don't open the door. Don't open the door. I'm developing stuff in here. It's real talk. And this really has a point, I promise. Some of you are like, 
I hope he don't come back. I, so I, here's the point. There are people that to this day will argue with you the fact, for those of people who are like extreme photographers, there are people who will argue the fact that a, that a real film photo developed through the process is far superior to any digital photo you can ever take, no matter how nice your equipment is. I mean, they will get like in a beat-down, drag-out, scratch-your-eye-out fight if you say, you can't tell the difference. I mean, shoes come off, jewelry, they, they crazy, okay? So if you're ever with a photographer, don't be like, yeah, I got a camera. It takes good digital pictures too. Never say that to them. They will throw stuff at you, okay? So, so here's what, and, and here's the truth. I believe it because I've seen quality, hand-done film produced from beginning to end. But here's the thing. It's a process. It's not fast. It's slow. And Joseph, when he got a dream at 17, hadn't been through the process yet. He might have got a picture, but he hadn't developed yet to the point that it become a reality. Here's what we need to understand about our life. God's not into some quick, instant process in your purpose. It's a long, drawn-out development process, and it may not always seem perfect. How many of you know, you got to develop them pictures. There is one point in the process, you got to turn all the light off, not just the rest, all the light. When you take the film from the camera and you expose it from its reel and put it in this thing called the tank where the first process begins, there can be zero light because any light is an overexposure and it will ruin the film. That's not the perfect position. And it takes practice even in that position to get it right. Some of you don't understand. You're just in the place of practice. And it, it, listen, and it's uncomfortable, and it's awkward, and it's not fun, and you mess up more film than you develop, but it's necessary if the dream is ever going to become the reality that it's intended to be. See, I don't want to substitute for the real thing. I want the real thing. But if I want the real thing, I've got to be willing to go through the process. And if there's one thing that we can learn from Joseph's life, is that all through it, God is in the process. And even though the position's not perfect, it's okay. God's still doing something in your life. God's still working on you. God is developing you so that when it's done, the details are perfect. See, that's the difference, in my opinion, in the opinion of many, between a digital print and a film print. It's the perfection of the detail. Some details that most people won't even notice. But how many of you know God notices? And how many of you know that God never did anything halfway or almost all the way? God perfects the details. And it is when we remove ourselves from his process that we begin to destroy the dream that he has for us. So when we don't get there, it's not because God wasn't taking us there. How many of you know that at any point Joseph could have gave up on the dream? I'd have gave up on the dream in the pit when I realized they wasn't coming back. And then when they came back, I would have maybe took hold of the dream again and been like, yeah, y'all still going to bow down one day. I'm just telling you right now. Y'all going to bow down. I had a dream. And then when they sold me as a slave, I probably would have gave up on the dream again. And at any point, Joseph could have removed himself from the process. He could have been rebellious. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter. He could have been a victim. But Joseph just made a decision 
to remain focused on the promise. Joseph knew God had spoken to him. Joseph knew that God wasn't finished. And here's the truth. For some of you in here tonight, man, God has spoken to you. And maybe it was a long time ago. Joseph didn't get there quick, but he got there. And maybe you think, God's not going to do this in me. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it to the very end. But just know this, he's going to complete it to the point of perfection. So he doesn't care how long the process takes because he's not watching the clock. How many of you know sometimes we put God on the clock? And God doesn't watch the clock. God doesn't wear a watch. He's not interested in the time. It's not important to him. What's important to him is the process. But what's more important to him than that is the people. You're important to God. And your process, it may not seem perfect. It may not seem great. It may not even be fun. But I promise you, over and over and over again, when we allow God to complete the process in our life, God does things we could never do within ourselves. Amen? Hey, I appreciate you guys listening to my ranting for like the last however long it's been. Thank you for the opportunity to just come and share. I hope that wasn't the worst Bible class you've ever been to. Told you I wasn't going to preach, just going to teach. And so now you know a lot about Joseph. If you want to know a lot more, just go read it for yourself, okay? Chapters 30, chapters 30, whatever, to, to chapters, you know, 50, just read them. And uh, there's a weirdly weird, weird chapter in there in 38. Might want to skip over that one, kind of awkward. Doesn't have anything to do with Joseph at all. Uh, you might want to go read it just for kicks, but um, just kind of a little footnote in there. Um, but uh, may God, listen, God didn't look at Joseph and have a plan for him and not have a plan for you. And so some of us would say, yeah, but I'm not Joseph. Really? Really? If, if you didn't start 11 of 12, you probably started off better than he did. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people in your word, God, that you allow us to look into the lives of the imperfect and see the hand of the perfect God. Father, I thank you for the process. And God, I don't always thank you for the process. Sometimes, God, I rebel against the process. Sometimes I run from the process. God, sometimes I don't want to be developed any more than I am now. And God, sometimes I just want instant gratification. And Father, I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, including myself, God, that you would keep our hearts surrendered to the process. God, I thank you that the purpose is bigger than us, that the plan is greater than us. And God, I thank you that you care about the details. And so, Father, through this preparation process, Father, through the development stages, God, we will be patient and we will trust you. And we will hold steady to the perfect promise that you have given us. Father, I pray blessings over their life. God, just as Joseph in every area of his life prospered, I pray that every person in this room would prosper in every area of their life, even though it's not the perfect place. And God, would you receive all the glory and all the honor because many lives were preserved because of the process. 